0: Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. What do you think about that? The young man that you just observed, his name is Jefferson Bethke. He lives in Seattle, Washington. It's a part of Mark Driscoll's church at Mars Hill. He, with, along with some other college buddies of his, decided to put this video up after he wrote this poem. And they had a dare. One of them basically said, You know, I think, the sort of kind of a little gentleman's bet, they weren't actually wagering, but one said, I, I think we'll get 1,000 hits. And I think Jefferson himself, Jeff said, I think we might, we might get 2,000 by the end of the week. As of this morning, that video has had 17 million views on YouTube. And it's been the subject of outrageous controversy. He was interviewed by Harry, I forget the guy's last name on CBS this morning, uh, along with a, a Catholic priest, a great guy who sat alongside him and I think brought a little clarity because a lot of the religionists have gotten very upset with this because really there's a nuance here that Jefferson is using and that is that Jesus hates false religion. That is, that he despises hypocrisy, that when people say one thing and they live something else, or as the little Japanese preacher used to say, no walkie walkie, no talkie take. <laughs> and so there's this issue that, that Jeff is trying to bring, I think, to the forefront and stir some conversation, not only among Christians, but among unbelievers who have been saturated at least they think they've been saturated with the gospel message in America. I mean, who has not seen the guy holding the placard that says John 3.16 at every major sporting event? Who, who hasn't at some time or another gone to a, a local area where music or the hangout is or just the whole, you know, the, the, the yuppie watering holes and, and just all the places where folks hang out and, and drink and have a good time and you've got a guy out there pulling across and somebody... Screaming and yelling, you know, turn or burn. And I'm, I'm not here to argue whether or not that has its place. Uh, I think that America has been saturated. This morning, as I bring this message, I want to help you see that the gospel is so much bigger than we ever, ever knew. The, the, the young man who, who brought this did it for the purpose of trying to stir some conversation with people asking the question what is the gospel? Because the gospel is not just a set of do's and don'ts. The gospel is the message. Gospel is like um, shorthand for Jesus announcing, hey, guess what? This whole thing's about to change because the kingdom of God for which you have been looking for generations has just arrived. It's here. It's 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 not just... Um, saving me from something. We're going to talk about that this morning, but it is the announcement. It's the proclamation that Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is the one that they'd look for for four millennia, the Yeshua Amashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the suffering servant, the reigning King, all of those pictures that we see throughout the scripture, that this one had come and he was announcing the inauguration of something entirely new. It was the beginning of a new lifestyle. If one would just repent and turn from the old way of thinking, And then be introduced And be initiated into this whole new thing Called the kingdom of God I'd like for you, if you would please To stand with me this morning And I want us to read Luke chapter 4 Verses 14 through 21 In some ways, you know, we try to do some things a new way And there's some ways that I'm just still a little old school I just think it's great to stand and honor the word of God If the president walked in the room, you'd stand. If Queen Elizabeth came in, you would stand. And I just think that the reading of God's word is just so profound, and it's something for which we should be so grateful and thankful. And I'd like you to lift your voices and read out loud with me. Before you start, let me just point out something here very briefly. Luke 4, 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, And if you see the first line, it says here in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee powerful in the Spirit. So see this. He's just been baptized by his cousin John in Luke 3. The Spirit of the Lord has descended in the form of or looking like, like a dove would descend. doesn't mean a bird landed on him, but it means the Spirit was visible and it came down and lit upon him like a dove. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, the Holy Ghost is not a bird. All the hunters in here are happy. You can shoot the doves and eat them now. <laughs> he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And then he returned powerful in the Spirit. And I want you to see that it's one thing to get full of the Holy Spirit. It's an entirely different thing to be learn to be led by the Spirit. And then it's something even different to be powerful in the Spirit. So here we go. With that introduction, let's read together. Jesus returned to Galilee powerful in the Spirit. News that he was back spread through the countryside. He taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. He came to Nazareth where he had been reared. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, "'God's Spirit is on me. "'He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor.'" Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the burdened and the battered free. To announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant and sat down. Every eye in the place was on him intent. Then he started in. You've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. God, we are overwhelmed. Thank you that you're helping us to see, Lord, that the gospel is so much bigger than we ever believed. God, forgive us. Be magnified, get larger. On the inside of us, get bigger in our perspective because we confess that our God has been too small. Our view of you, we we know that you're not small, but our perspective of who you are and how great that you are, it's been small in our understanding. We confess that. Forgive us, O God, for our narrow minded, myopic vision and limited thinking. Lord, help us explode out of that to see that you are a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Holy Spirit, fill us today. Teach us to be led by the Spirit and let us follow in the footsteps of Jesus so that we can be powerful in the Spirit. We thank you. That's all possible because you shed your blood for us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I think we all probably, especially if you've grown up in church, you know that the gospel means good news. It was William Tyndale in the 13th century who first was translating the scriptures into English, who who chose a common term that the street people used when he was trying to translate the Greek word euangelion. We get our English word evangelical or evangelistic from it. It basically is the idea of the good news of the new birth, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to not only change your life personally, but to recreate the whole planet, to rebirth everything out of chaos and darkness, to bring the spirit of God to light and to life so that the whole place could be transformed. Somewhere along the way, we've allowed some baggage to come in in terms of several centuries of using the word gospel. Gospel is totally now associated with church. When Tyndale used it, it was a common street term. It was basically sort of like you tune in and you watch E! News. Or Are you watching something that comes on like at 6.30 at night before the regular lineup starts and you're just seeing kind of the latest news? Well, this was Tyndale's attempt to put in common language what the message of Jesus Christ was. It's, it's the latest good news. It's the gospel of God. And, and so with that, he's trying to translate that this thing is not just, you know, some a latest fact or event, but this is some life-changing gospel. This is good news. It is a message That God has given in Jesus Christ to completely alter the order and the arrangement of things. And so this morning we begin with point number one. The gospel is the good news, but about what? The gospel is the good news, but about what? And I have at the bottom there, you just listen as I read. This is from Romans 1.16. You've probably heard this in the King James. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The message says it this way. It's news I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else because God had no intention of limiting this only to one covenant people. His design and desire was that Israel would be the firstborn among many nations that would be discipled in the kingdom of God in the very same way that Jesus was, be the, was to be the firstborn among many brothers. He was to be the firstborn born. Of the new creation of God. Scripture says also calls him the firstborn from among the dead. The prototype of the new creation man. I, I, I think in, in the south. In the Bible belt. Which one newsman actually said a few years ago. That Memphis was the buckle. If, if south is the Bible belt. Then Memphis is the buckle on the belt. And there is, a, an, a, there is an attitude and a prevailing mentality. that That sort of comes along with this idea of the gospel. We've been saturated in this idea that Jesus came to die for you so you wouldn't have to go to hell. And I want to tell you the gospel is, yes, that is one little bitty tiny fragment or a portion of something that is so much bigger than we've ever begun to realize because this is not just reduced to a heaven-hell issue. That is extremely reductionistic, narrow-thinking Too many times we want to get a pocket full of tracks and go get in somebody's face that we've never met before and and tell them, turn or burn. And then if they do make a profession of faith, we walk away and leave them almost as if a new baby's just been born and they're laid out there under the elements and and to all of everything that would come against them and kill and steal and destroy from them. The gospel is not just you don't have to go to hell, you can go to heaven. The gospel is not just Jesus proclaiming proclamation in an attempt to populate heaven if anything that is a byproduct of what comes because this is a complete transformation of my life too many times we see tv preachers preaching a kind of a twisted gospel of self-fulfillment when jesus came preaching self-denial That I die daily. I, I take up my cross. And what is my cross? It is reaching up to God and staying connected to him. And it's reaching out to my brothers and sisters and staying connected to them. And that's the cross. The Ten Commandments. The first four are, are to God. I would have no other gods before me. I would not, you know, worship or fall down before a, a, a graven image. I would not take God's name in vain. I would remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if I, Jesus, summed the ten up in two, and he said, if I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I love him, then I I won't have another God before me. I won't worship a graven image, and I won't have idolatry. I won't take his name in vain, and I will remember to worship and put him first place in my life. And it's the last six that are the real crux of the issue. I don't have a problem loving God. It's the people. Don't even look at me in that tone of voice. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you got out of the car fresh, hot from an argument this morning. If you're really honest with me, and you, (laughs) come on, come on, somebody get real, get a little bit honest in this place. You know that sometimes Sunday morning is the most difficult time to try to even just get things together. It's like, it's like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. It's Murphy's law all over again. Sorry, Jack, forgive me. But it's like, if anything can happen that'll throw in a a wrench in the machinery, it's going to happen on Sunday morning. And you know, as well as I do, man, it's, it's getting along with Jesus is most of the time, pretty easy. It's just everybody else. So that's the horizontal bar of the cross. And that is, if I love my neighbor as myself, if I do that, then that means I honor my parents. Amen. It means I don't murder, don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't envy. Those last six, if I, if I love you with the love of God, then I won't kill you. I won't commit adultery with your wife I won't steal from you. I won't lie to you. I won't cheat from you. I won't envy what you have. And literally, it is my determination to walk in love to God and walk in love to my brothers and sisters. That's where I deny myself and take up my cross every day. Loving God with all of my heart. Loving my neighbor as myself. That's the four upreach. That's the six. This is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. The six last commandments of the ten all deal with my relationship with man. That's where my cross, that's where I die to myself. That's where I have to make up my mind when somebody's offended me, somebody's hurt me. I choose to walk in love. I choose to walk in forgiveness. You can say amen anytime you want to. Salvation has been reduced to a heaven-hell issue. The focus has become a private transaction. Pray this prayer. Say it this way. And you know, then once you've done that, then I can go, okay, hell is no longer an issue. Check I can go about my life and just go on as if nothing has changed. And that's the way a lot of Christians in America think. 60% of the, the, the population of America claims to be born-again Christians. And I want to tell you, there is no way that, that, that statistic is real. Because if people really, truly were born again and had, had a transformation in their lives, this nation with 60% of people that believe that would not be in the shape that it's in. But we've had a reductionist gospel. We've had this thing that's been truncated. It's had the chest cut out of it. The gospel that we hear preached in so many places is reduced. We have reduced Jesus to the place where he can still save our soul. But we don't believe that he can change the world any longer. No, I just go on with my life and the emphasis is always about what I've been saved from and nothing has ever been said. Nobody sits down to disciple me and show me the big picture and how awesome and majestic and huge God is and the fact that he created me for a purpose and he called me, that there is a sense of destiny on my life and, and I've got a. The, the question is not... There shouldn't be if you died tonight, would you go to hell? The question is what if I had 30 years to live? How would I spend those next 30 years? Yes, you've been rescued from sin and death and everything that is under the curse, but you've not been rescued to merely become a part of the populace of heaven. You have been rescued not just from something, but you have been rescued to something. You've been saved from sin. You've been saved to the purpose of God for your life. You've been invited in to be a part of the team that God has called to change the planet. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give him praise. But somewhere along the way, we've lost that. You have been rescued in order that and for this greater purpose. Come on, help me preach a little bit in this place today. We have domesticated the gospel. What does it mean to domesticate something? We take something that is wild and we break it so that we can bring it inside and it can live comfortably inside. And the gospel is never intended to cohabitate with anything else inside a box of limitation. We've made it the gospel of sin management. Holiness has become holiness by subtraction. If you don't do this, if you walk right and you talk right and you spit white, that's what the old Pentecostals used to say when my granddaddy was growing up. But he, that was the whole thing against chewing tobacco. It was all about you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And my my little mother couldn't drink a Coca-Cola and they couldn't, she got caught one time standing outside the fence at a public swimming pool. And because she was the daughter of the deacon of the Church of God in Mark Tree, they told on her and brought it up in a business meeting. You wanna know what religion is, what Jefferson was preaching against. It's that kind of a spirit. I'm sorry, God's in a good mood, Brady said. (laughs) Maybe I need to get an adjustment, a mood adjustment this morning. A little bit of a mood enhancer. Praise and worship does that for me. But I'm going to tell you what I hate. I know what the brother's talking about. I hate religion that removes people from the possibility of knowing that God is in a good mood and you don't have to earn his favor because he has your picture on his refrigerator in his kitchen in heaven and he's crazy about you. (laughs) I need to kind of dial it back a little bit. Holiness is not merely being set apart from something. It's being set apart unto a greater calling of God for your life. It's, it's not just having a Sunday school look in the right tie and the right outfit and the, the right kind of trophy wife on your arm and children that behave in just the right kind of way have that fake plastic smile we go to church looking like christian ken and barbie dolls have you ever noticed you ever noticed the fingers on barbie you know they're kind of the two middle ones are stuck together and we praise and i I, i'm chasing a rabbit here chasing a rabbit that fake smile it's the kind of smile that a cassette tape would just fit right in praise the lord How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. Blessed in going in and blessed in coming out. Well, how's your wife? Well, she divorced me. She hates me, but I'm blessed. How many of you know somebody needs a a gospel adjustment? All right, number two 20th century Christianity shrink wrapped the gospel. 20th century Christianity has shrink wrapped. The gospel. There's a diagram there in your notes. You should have received a copy. And Pastor Alex does an amazing job with media here in the church. Whichever screen that you'd like to look at, I want you to notice that there are four. No, no, no. Back up. Everybody say, started that line down there. Everybody say creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Now, notice under fallen redemption, you see the words half the story. In too many churches this morning all over America, people will sit down to a warmed-over version of the same sermon that's been preached for the last 150 years, that you're no good, that you're a low-down sinner, that you have fallen, but Jesus Christ has come to die for you He's come to shed his blood for you. And if by faith you will reach up and take the gift that is by grace given because of by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, this gift will turn your life around. And you no longer have to worry about hell, but you can go to heaven. And the whole message is just this little bitty, almost Campbell's souped, condensed. We've pulled everything else out of it except just these two little ingredients and it needs to be reconstituted. It needs to be poured full of the water of the word again. Because we're, 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 we're eating something that may taste good for a little while, but it won't build strong bodies in seven ways, like the wonder bread of heaven will. I don't know where that came from. It just boom. If you, if you knew what I, what I edited, it flies across here. Half the story. Man has fallen. Jesus has redeemed us. But that's only half the story and the gospel is comprehensive. It it includes the fact that God created this whole thing and he stepped back from it every day of creation and he said, behold, it is good. And at the end of the, the sixth day when man was created, by the way, do you realize that God put everything there that you would ever need before he actually made the man and set him down into a completed creation? If you get a revelation of that, you can begin to see that God has already put you down into a relationship, into a job, into a family, into a situation that you think you don't have everything you need, but God's already got it taken care of. In his providence, he's put you there. But you know what? You're going to have to shake the trees and look to see the provision of God. I'm baptizing the front row this morning. <laughs> Creation. The whole story does not... Just stop with the fall and redemption. But it takes in the fact that God made me. And when he looked at me, even now in my brokenness, he stepped back and he looked at all of creation and he said, behold, it is very good. Too many times we, we look at things all around us and we view them as secular and sacred. We, we view them through a kind of a, a dichotomous split. And the sacred stuff is for Sunday morning, and the secular stuff is for Monday through Saturday. And I want to tell you one of the things that brought a huge change in Christianity was the Reformation period, which started to help us see that God wanted you to start to recognize that you make holy your everydays. When you pull the weed in your garden, you are advancing the kingdom of God because you're removing chaos and you're replacing it with order. Come on, mamas, don't, don't you think for a second that you don't have a call on your life when dad may be in the office, he may be advancing the kingdom because he's a businessman and he's, he's creating an opportunity for jobs for people, not only in the church, but in the community. He's a Christian man with a message. He shares his testimony, uh, people at his, at his place of work or the business that he owns or that you guys own together. Uh, it's not just about making a buck, but he's doing it with a kingdom vision and people's lives are being changed. There are men in this room who practice that way. But sometimes moms are left at home and you're felt to think that you're like a second class citizen. But I want you to know that every time you change Junior's diaper, you're advancing the kingdom of God. You're removing chaos from Junior's life. Look at your neighbor and say, make holy your everydays. If we do everything to the glory of God, if we do everything with God in mind and we do that out of a sense of worship... If we, if we communicate with people, if we do business with people, if we train and educate and strengthen and equip people, if we, if we drive down the highway to the glory of God, if we, if we relate to our spouse to the glory of God, if we wash our dishes and wind up the hose that's stretched out across the yard, and we do it to the glory of God, then it starts to take on a larger perspective about this thing called the kingdom, which God has included us in. It's creation, and yes, there was a fall, and yes, God made a plan for redemption, but it doesn't stop with redemption. Too many times this, the gospel stops with, okay, now I'm going to heaven, but what about the rest of my life? How do I live? What does it mean? Jesus, please come quickly, take me to heaven now. Well, He didn't. So, how do I live today and tomorrow and the next 20 years and possibly? Uh, another century and maybe a millennium to add to it before Jesus comes back. Too many times we have such an any minute mentality and we have, as Mark Twain says, we're so heavenly minded that we're absolutely no earthly good whatsoever. And we've got an eye on the Eastern gate listening for the Trump of Gabriel and two generations have passed and we've wasted years not investing in another generation. And we've lost a sense of The purpose of God because we thought, oh, there's no reason to worry about any of that because Jesus is coming in the next breath. I do believe Jesus is coming back, saints, but we also have to back up and go, if he doesn't, I'm going to be faithful to occupy. I'm not going to be preoccupied with when he's coming. I'm going to occupy till he comes, which means I've got to be occupied investing into the generation of Abigail and Drew, my two children and not giving them some kind of ridiculous idea. Oh, I remember, I'm going to stop and tell this story. I was 14 years old, and I was traveling the south and the eastern seaboard with a 28-year-old evangelist who was very prophetic, very sharp, great crowds, awesome things happening in the presence of God, Holy Spirit being poured out, lives being changed. And I sat down around the table with everyone who had been in the ministry for years. And I was 15, so I wasn't saying a word. I was just listening. And I sat around this, this group, and this was in the 1970s, early, probably 73, 74. And I'm sitting with them, and so they just noticed that I've sat there for an hour listening to all of them and didn't say a word. And they looked at me and said, well, Michael, what are, what are you planning on doing? And I said, well, I'm going to graduate high school, and I'm going to go to college. And before I could finish my sentence, somebody said, oh, no, you don't even want to worry about that, because Jesus is coming back, and the kingdom will be established, and you don't have to worry about going to college and I was telling Brady and Josh and Alex last night, by the way, we went out and I showed them what real barbecue tastes like and that's in Memphis, Memphis <laughs> barbecue, amen. And uh, so we had, had some ribs at the rendezvous. Anyway, so I'm telling them, I said, you know, thank God I didn't listen to those narrow thinking people and I went on to school because how wonderful it would have been if Jesus had come in 1975. But what if I had based my life on their narrow thinking and then I didn't do anything to prepare for my life and for a wife and for children and for a means of income. Is anybody in the room hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so, so the gospel has got to include not just I've fallen, Jesus saves me. Well, tie a knot in the end of the rope and hang on until Jesus comes. That's the mentality that you see out here. Okay, I want to let go of the rope because my hand has blisters on it and I want to get down from there and get my hand healed. I want to learn to start walking and seeing the kingdom of God advancing right here in the delta where people need to hear the message that Jesus came to set them free. He came to open blind eyes. He came to bring good news to the poor. He came to release the captive from prisons. Anybody in the room hearing what I'm saying this morning? All right. The whole story includes creation, fall, redemption, and the fact that God's not going to quit until the whole planet has been restored. Even the creation groans and travails, Romans 8, yearning earnestly to know the glorious liberty that the children of God know and understand. Four big questions that every philosophy attempts to answer. I'm teaching a world civ class every Monday night at Victory University in Memphis because I love to teach. I've got a little one U.S. history class that I teach Tuesday and Thursday morning, 8 a.m., 8 till 9.25, Tuesday and Thursday mornings out here at MSCC. Because I love history and I love to connect with people that are hungry to learn and grow. And the larger questions come into play. History is not just the journalism questions of what, when, where, and who. But history really starts to ask the question, why? Why did this happen and how are these things connected? And so you start to talk philosophies, philosophies of life. And high school kids and college kids are very interested and open many times to asking some of these questions. And they're exploring their faith. They've, they're, they're questioning whether or not this faith that their parents trained them to, to think in and to love God and whether they're Baptist or Methodist or any of the other Heinz 57 varieties of Christianity. Is that real? And and what I I have shown them, I I love being able to teach at Victory because it's a Christian university and I can teach things. I actually can open my Bible, read scripture and start the class with prayer and and I can answer questions and I can say, well, this philosophy teaches this, but the Bible says, and I love that. It's awesome. I'm, I'm making a connection on a spiritual level with some of these students. The four big questions that every philosophy attempts to answer are number one, where did I come from? B, why is there evil or sin and suffering in the world? C, is there a way out? And then D, why am I here? Rick Warren's top 10 book, number one bestseller for like three years on the New York Times bestseller list, sold millions of copies because it answered the question, The purpose driven life answered the question, Why am I here? Does God have a reason for me? And what I want you to see is what I just showed you answered those four questions Where did I come from? Everybody say creation. God made you. You didn't, it's not from goo to you by way of the zoo, but God made you with a purpose. Greek word telios. He has an end in mind for you. There's something specific for your life. Listen to me. Somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord. I'm prophesying right now. Your parents might not have planned you. You know what? You might have been a product of, of a relationship that wasn't even based in wedlock. But let me tell you, your parents might have told you you were a mistake, but God didn't make a mistake. He had you in mind before the foundation of the world. There are no illegitimate babies. There are only illegitimate parents. Where did I come from? Creation. Why is there evil? Fall of man. We've disobeyed and there are consequences. Is there a way out? Jesus Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law of sin and death. He did that. By his propitiatory sacrifice, the wrath of God. The, you, know what, you want to know why, what, what Brady said is true, that God's in a good mood? Because he already poured all of his anger and wrath out on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We are healed. That is a portion of the gospel, but it's bigger than that. He wants to heal you and redeem you and save you, not just so you can hang on and wait till the rapture, but so you can start to live a life that will change the rest of the planet. Come on, somebody. Why am I here? It's this whole thing called restoration. God has invited you to be on the team with him to do something Pretty crazy amazing. Christianity is the only philosophical system that can coherently answer all four of these questions. Where did I come from? Creation. Why is there evil, sin, and suffering in the world, fall of man? Is there a way out? Yes, Jesus Christ, redemption. Now, why am I here? Because now that you've been redeemed, you have a call. There's, You have a destiny on your life. Everybody sitting in this room. This is not just for guys who stand up behind any kind of form of a pulpit. The call of God is not just for somebody who preaches the gospel. The call of God is for every believer to live the gospel. St. Francis of Assisi said, Everywhere you go, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. If I can live it and they see it, then they start to say, I got to know what's happening in your life. How do you do this? I've seen you just about go to hell and back. Then they've opened the doors wide for me to just very humbly give them. Guess what? This thing called Jesus is real. I once was blind, but now I see. And the most powerful thing you can do is just get a good grasp on a way to give your testimony in one minute because that's the most powerful tool that God has put in every one of your mouths and that's what he's done in your life. The demon-possessed man, after Jesus set him free, he, he went declaring, look what the Lord has done. Look at your neighbor and say right now. Say, look what the Lord has done. Number three, and I'm finished. The gospel is bigger than we've thought. Jesus came to preach the gospel to a people who were schooled in the four big stories of the old covenant i didn't even know that we had designed this series based on genesis 1 until three months after we had already said we were putting this together this we wrapped this up this morning in genesis 1 the spirit of god is hovering over the chaos of creation there's there's disorder there's darkness the bible says and the spirit hovered over the deep We preach the first message, the priority of presence. People, we have to have the presence of God in our lives. We have to have the presence of the Lord in this church. This is why Brady's here tonight to do this wow worship night. We're just going to go deeper. We're going to press higher. We're going to say, God, I love what Brady prayed this morning when we came in to get ready to rehearse for this service this morning. Brady just said, God, move in and take up more space inside of us than you ever have before. And I'm going, yes. How do you think like that? I love that. Jesus, invade my land and take the back 40 where it's still covered up with rocks and weeds and go in Jesus just like Joshua invaded the the promised land and he drove out the giants. Jesus, come on and take some more space in my life. Be Lord over an area yet, oh God, that, that I haven't yet given to you. Show me, shine the light in my dark places, oh God. Because the gospel is bigger than I've ever thought it was. It's comprehensive. And it begins in the idea of creation, Pre- priority of presence, the spirit of the Lord. And then what happens in Genesis 3? Pastor Jeremy came and did an awesome job. God said, let there be light. What happened? He spoke the word. Guys, this just blew my mind after we looked at it. Priority of presence is the spirit. Priority of the word. We've, we've, this, is, this has rattled my cage reading through the New Testament in the last 30 days. It's just like saturated me, and I've, I've, my heart has just been decimated, and I've just said, God, help me see that the gospel is so much bigger than I ever thought it was growing up in church. We moved from the priority of the word. Pastor Alex came in and preached the priority of generosity because the next thing God did was he gave the seed. He planted a seed. Alex had an amazing thought. He said, without the seed, there is no tree. God's put a seed in every one of your lives because he wants to grow some trees. And not just one tree, but in every seed, there's not just a tree. You're a minor prophet if all you see is one tree, but you're a major prophet if you can take a seed and you can go, you know what, there's a whole forest wrapped up inside that right there. God's put some things into your hands. He was generous. Pastor Haley came in and talked about service, service to God and service to each other. This morning is the last place, the gospel, priority of the gospel. Spirit hovered, word was spoken, God gave seed, he was generous, he raised up man to serve, and then man fell. And so this is when the gospel comes in, right there in Genesis 3.15. When Adam and Eve had both sinned and they'd listened to the serpent and they'd partaken and disobeyed. And sin entered in and the the consequence of sin came onto the scene, and God walked into that place. I wrote a poem in the 1990s, and this is a phrase from it that I always use. It says, while on that spot and in that place, God made a promise to Adam's race. He said, this one you blame and are in strife. She shall bear the seed of eternal life. Isaiah grabbed that several thousand years later, and he said, and this is the sign, and you I tell, a virgin shall conceive and call his name Emmanuel, God with us so it's about God creating you for a purpose and even in your brokenness and sin he's redeemed you for a purpose it's not just a heaven hell issue many of you've settled that long time ago and if that's all we ever think it's about then we just sit with a faraway look in our eye wondering God why am I still here the gospel is about God creating you. It's about God in the exodus. He leads you out of bondage. Some of you are sitting here this morning are trapped in secret sins, pornography, sexual addiction, drugs. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ has come to be your heavenly Moses to lead you out of captivity and bring you out and set you free so that you can walk in freedom af- apart from all of that stuff that is holding you back. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. The other one is the exile story, and it's the idea that, that God, after the children of Israel have gone into captivity, he brings them and rescues them and brings them back to where they live a God-centered existence, where God is the center of their life instead of being on the fragmented margins of society. Some of you in here have broken relationships. So the gospel for you is that Jesus can put all that junk back together. He can heal your marriage. He can heal you, his relationship, your relationship with him. But unfortunately, every church in America only preaches and emphasizes the priestly story. And that is, a priest, anointed of God, takes a sacrifice, spills blood to pay for sin. That's just one of the big stories of the old covenant. Yes, the gospel is that. But the gospel is all of these other things that I've shown you this morning. He created you for a purpose. He wants to bring you out of bondage and give you an exodus in your life. He wants to pull you back from the fragmented margins of of relationships that are broken and restore you. Are you hearing me this morning? Let me wrap this up. Yes, the gospel is about a private and transforming relationship with Jesus. But it's also about a public relationship and transforming relationship with the world. God has called us to be on the team with him. He's invited us. This morning, I would just ask you, everybody in the room, if you would just close your eyes. Nobody looking around So they bring the lights down. Abby, if you would come to the keyboard, please. And I want to say to you today that God loves you more than we can ever even put into words and describe. I want to say to you this morning in the close of this message that whatever you're facing... All it takes is you turning your face to Jesus and saying, Jesus, save me. If you're lost and don't understand purpose, the gospel is the the story that Jesus created you for a purpose and a destiny. And he's inviting you into that relationship on team with him. You know what? If you're stuck in an addictive pattern of behavior, Jesus Christ will be your heavenly Moses and he will lead you in an exodus out of that bondage. Because he doesn't want you to stay there. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the priestly story is the gospel for your life this morning. He became, he didn't just take an animal and sacrifice and shed its blood, but he became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Your sins were included in that. My sins separate me from God but now by the blood of Jesus Christ and trusting him and saying just simply save me Jesus I repent, I turn from that and I turn to you show me what you've called me to do and be that priestly story is the gospel for you some of you this morning are sitting here in broken relationships the gospel for you is that larger story of exile and restoration God wants to bring you back from fragmentation and brokenness so you know what? I'm just going to ask you right now. I'm trying to preach a bigger gospel than we most of us have ever heard. Expand this thing. Grow this thing. Throw some yeast into the pot and start to see this thing rise and enlarge. And if you sense something enlarging in your heart this morning and you just want to say with me, Pastor, i got to have some of this. I need Jesus to rescue me. I know that he's called me for a purpose. And I'm going to slip my hand up right now, and I'm just going to ask you, Pastor, to pray for me. I'm just asking those of you right now, I'm not talking to believers, but I'm talking to somebody who might need to take the first step of faith and cross that line of faith and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Nobody's looking around. Every eye's closed. If you would like to be included in this prayer this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody? Anybody in the room? All right. I'm talking to believers now in this closing moment. Anyone want to say with me, Pastor? I've had some explosive ideas have come into my mind today to realize it's not just Jesus saved me from something, but he saved me to a purpose, a calling, a destiny. How many of you really feel like the Lord has done something in your life today and you just want to say, God, i got to get a bigger understanding of this? Like like Brother Brady said, "I I want God to move in on the inside and take up more space inside of me. Several hands around the room. God, that's my prayer. Give us a place... Of a fresh start this morning, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Empower us, oh God, with your holy presence, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.